This encore presentation of Disclosure is brought to you by your friends at the Voice of Prophecy. Enjoy! Welcome to a very special episode of Disclosure. I say that it's special because my parents and teachers always called me special. You're special. Yeah. Special isn't really a compliment, is it? Not always. Oh, no, no. It's a compliment. Yeah. That's the voice of Alex Rodriguez, the other special individual <laughs> in the room. And uh, this really is kind of a special episode. We're about to do one of my favorite things in the whole world, Alex. We're going to do Bible study, and not just any old Bible study. You know, often we'll get here in studio, open our Bibles, and talk about things. But we're actually taking a look at material from our award-winning Discover Bible course, which I don't think it's an exaggeration to say it's the oldest correspondence Bible course on the planet, isn't it? That's right. It's very old. Yeah, it's almost as old as you. Almost. Although almost. I can't make age jokes. No, um, because you are older than me. Yeah, barely. By a long barely. margin. Oh, come on, man. 10%. No, Tops. Tops. Yeah, well, maybe. No, no, 20. It's not 20%. Oh, seven. What are you, 20? No, You're seven. not 20 years old. I'm, uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm young. Yeah, but you I'm are 20, still on I'm the— 25. How old are you? All right. You know what? I think our Bible study just shifted to <laughs> the Ten Commandments and thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou I think we need to spend lie. an hour on that. No, you were on the fifth floor. No, I've got another four No, you're on the years. fifth No, you're on the fifth floor. Your forties is your fifth decade. You've completed oh, five true. decades. I'm on the third floor. Yeah. No, no, yeah. I'm on yeah. the sixth You'll floor be going now. To the third floor. Yeah, I'll be going to the third floor where they have special <laughs> residential care. All no, right, right, we're going to take a look at, and, and this really is one of my favorite ways to study the Bible. There's all kinds of ways to study the Bible, different methods. You know, you can open the Bible, Alex, read it from Genesis through Revelation in order. I try to do that about once a year, buy a new version of the That's Bible, right. read the whole thing. Uh, there are other study courses, one that I released, and I did that in partnership years ago. The Navigators let me use their Bible study um, guide. It was sort of a read the Bible in a year deal where every day you read a piece from the prophets and you read a piece from the poetry and a piece from the gospels and a piece from the letters. And they managed to make them all tie together on the same yeah. subject. But the Discover course, what I like about this is we're really going subject by subject so that you see all the major themes of the Bible, which I think equips you um, to really read the Bible better for yourself and have the tools you need to interpret what you're reading. Sure, it paints a, a nice picture for you and uh, and fills that in. So you're, you're constantly filling in the picture until right. you're, you're at the end and you see this beautiful portrait. Right, so we're going to actually look today, we're on lesson number five, and you can follow along. You can get this material by going to voiceofprophecy.com, and up near the top of the page there is a tab that says study, and you want to look for the Bible study there, right. right? Or I think you can actually go to um, biblestudies.com and Bible find this material. Com. I think that's it, isn't it? BibleStudies.com, and get a copy. We're going to look at lesson number five. It's called Bridge to a Satisfying Life, and we're about to dig into that. But, you know, we were talking about ways to study the Bible, Alex. What are some of your favorite ways to engage in your personal Bible study? Well, my, my personal Bible study, I like to go slowly. Mm -hmm. and so I'll... I have to. I have no choice. <laughs> yeah, because you're slow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. 
so I, I like to read a verse, and then I like to pray about that verse, and sure. ask some questions about it. Ask God, Lord, what would you have me know about this particular verse? You put it in the in the Bible for a reason. There's uh, precious real estate in Scripture, and so I don't think God's going to waste anything. And and as I do that slowly, God God reveals certain things about that particular verse and makes connections. And um, w- one of the things that I also do is I I listen to the Bible. On a regular basis, I can't do my, it that way. Car. I just can't do that. Well, I'm just kind of feeding it from a different angle, and okay. and, and I hear so many different things that I, I I don't get when I'm reading. But what happens when you when you're reading the Bible um, on on a regular basis? You said once a year at least you go through the whole thing. Is you're you're building that that core that foundation. You you right. now have something to pull from. That's right. Yeah. And it's amazing how you begin to chain reference in your head. Wow, you know who else talks about this? Micah talks about this, and Isaiah talks about this. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and that's what happens when I go slowly. It's it's referencing all the times that I've read through through Scripture. And so then we can you can make a tie into into some things, wow. and, it, and it and it shows you things you've never seen before. You know, the founder of this ministry, HMS Richards, he would read through the entire Bible twice a year, mm. and he did it once in January. He read the whole thing in January. And that was so that he said he got a bird's-eye view, and it was rapid. It was kind of a survey method. Let's read the whole thing. And then for the next 11 months, he'd slow down and repeat it. That's nice. Yeah. Didn't, didn't they, they, they used to read the Bible in January all the way through on the radio, I think. I don't they know. They had something did like we do that? that. I should know that. Kind I, think, of thing. I think they did. I think they did. Uh, well, there was what's-his-name was on the radio years ago, um, J. Vernon McGee. And he was through the Bible with J. Vernon McGee. That's yeah, not to endorse some other show, but um, there you go. But it took him 17 years to get through the entire thing. Oh wow! Yeah, something like that. All right, we need to take a look at a bridge to a satisfying life. You work at the Bible School Department here, Alex. Uh, what are we having a look at here today? All right, so kick the ball down the field for we're us. We're going to start off with a story, okay? Because this lesson starts with a with a really cool story. So the setting is World War II. Yep. World War II, Naples, Italy. I was not around. You were not around. As much as you think I was, I was not around. You probably know a lot about World War II, though. Well, actually. You're a history buff. I know it actually from personal experience because my father was born in a Nazi-occupied village and spent his childhood under the Nazi occupation. Oh, wow. We should do a story on that one these days. Yeah, we should. That'd That'd be a cool story. So yeah, we we have this uh, this Naples, Italy. The 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 war is over, but um, you know the, the the place is laying in ruins. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the effects of war, unfortunately, is is people get displaced. And right. And some of the the ones that were displaced and lost their parents and had nowhere to go are the kids. So you had all these orphans that were running around town, and, and of course, town is destroyed. And they they become little thugs. They're you know that's no no. I'm not. I shouldn't be. La- I laughed at that. That's so wrong, Sean. But yeah, <laughs> but that's you know they they. Yeah. What choice no, did they have? Yeah, no one to lead them. So they're they're stealing. They're they're getting into all kinds of problems. And there's this young priest. Uh, his name is is Mario Borelli, hmm. and he's got a he's got this passion for these kids, and he's trying to figure out how how do I connect to these kids? How, how can I get connected to them? And so he comes up with a brilliant idea that he would join them. And so as, as he's done with his, his duties in the parish every, every day, he goes down to where these kids are and pretends to be one of them. He, he sleeps uh, out, outside with huh. them, and he just, just pretends like, like yeah, he's, he's, he's orphaned as well. They eventually in, embrace him as, as part of the gang, part of the club. And eventually he, um, 
he comes to them and says that he has found a location for them all to stay and, and get out of the weather. And this is a, a deserted church. It's the San Ganarello Church. Um, and that had been bombed in the war as well. But it's there's enough of it left that they can salvage something. And so all the young people will follow him there. They start cleaning the place up, get the rubble out of the way, and eventually turn it into, into their home. Hmm. Well, the story tells us that one of the days he shows up in his in his uh, uniform, in his uh, uh, clergy uniform, and they think it's a joke. They begin laughing at him, and 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 then they find find out no, no, it's it's not a joke. He 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 is clergy. He shares with them that uh, that that he's a priest, and and so they accept him. They accept him both as as one of them because uh-huh. he was with them out on the streets uh, and now as 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 a priest and so what we we're, we're going to talk about in this particular lesson is is the fact that there was a time uh, that God looked on this on this earth or prophetically looking to the future because the Bible says that 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 Jesus is the lamb slain uh, from, the, the from the foundation of the world, of the world. Right. so obviously before the world was created he he's he's looking into what's going to happen and the and the sacrifice that he's going to have to make and so he sees this world that's full of ragtag individuals that that have turned their 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 backs on him and and, and gone wayward and he's trying to figure out how do I best connect with these individuals? And so he chooses to become one of us, and that's really what this lesson is is all about. Beautiful. All right, well, let's dig in. I mean, um, yeah, and I think some people still struggle with that because, of course, we're talking about Jesus, who we suddenly realize he's, he's, not, he's one of us, but he's not. Sure, and, right. And it's like, oh, my goodness, heaven stepped in to save us here. Yes, yeah. yeah. And, and you, you know, it's it, we might get into some of this in the lesson, but uh, I often I used to think I used to think that that God the Father took the easy road out. Mm-hmm. You know, he he looked at this world and he says, "Yeah, yeah, I care about them. I want to save them." But no, I'm not going to do that. Um, you're going to go, buddy, uh, and he sent his son out here to to, <laughs> yeah. to 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 be killed. But but Jesus said that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father. So, and he told his disciples on one occasion, the Father himself loves you. Absolutely. And so this, there's been this idea in Christianity where, okay, the Father hates us, can't wait to get rid of the sinners, and Jesus is running interference. That's not true. And that's not true. That's not no. true. And so I think the, the better perspective to look at is that the Godhead gave themselves through right. the person of the Son. Yeah. And that's really what we're looking oh, at Oh, I like to, that. That's today. a great way. So let's let's go to question number one. Okay. What separates us from God? What separates us from God? That's found in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. All right. Uh, Putting you, my old man lenses on. Why don't you take that for us and see Here what it says. Here we go. Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So that he will not hear. So something has separated us, and the Bible refers to that as iniquity. Right. And so what does that mean? That's a big word. Well, it's, um, I, I'm going to the wrong testament here. In the New Testament, it's the word anomia that has been translated iniquity. In a lot of the English translations, it means away from the law or no law, or basically we have violated God's sense of morality. Yeah, your lawlessness. Um, right. 
and and we see that that violation of the sense of morality happening right there with uh, Genesis chapter three. Um, this 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 beautiful couple, uh, and I can't even imagine the 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 level of beauty. Obviously, she must have been extremely hot. I mean, you know, <laughs> I hate to say it that way, but you know. This Adam yeah. Adam chooses chooses Eve over over everything else. And oh, you're reminding three. me of a, a church I pastored years ago, where one of the church members I had said, "Man, I can't wait to get to the kingdom. I have some questions for Adam. I imagine that lineup's going to be really long." He said, "You're going to get in line to see Adam." I said, "Yeah." He said, "I'm getting in line to see Eve, <laughs> God's perfect woman." It's oh, like, that, oh. that must be that must be incredible. And yeah. and so he, he 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 creates this beautiful pair. Right, and and with them he's he's going to populate this entire earth, and and then they decide that uh, they would rather be their own masters. They they want to look at themselves instead of of God, and at that point you have lawlessness taking place. Sure, stepping away from God's morality. I like the way one pastor used to say it to me: "Is what we said to God was no, thank you, sir. I'll do things my way. I'll do things my way. Yeah, yeah. That, that's right. That's right." And so that 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 has led us into into this uh, this this mess where. I also like to look at it from the perspective of just communication. So you had a communication channel between God and man at the beginning, and then that communication channel is severed in Genesis chapter right. 3. And this is why the story of uh, of Jacob and um, and the, the ladder, we're running Jacob's out of time. Ladder. We'll, talk, yeah. we'll talk a little bit about that later. Yeah, Jacob's Ladder. We're talking about a bridge to a satisfying life. You're listening to Disclosure. This is lesson number five from our Discover Bible School. You could take advantage of this free course by going to BibleStudies.com. And you can go there now and get a copy of this. Pause the podcast if you're listening to this later on as a podcast and uh, follow along. Lesson number five, Bridge to a Satisfying Life. I'll be right back after this. Retirement planning can be a stressful process, but it doesn't have to be. The friendly people at The Voice of Prophecy can walk you through the entire process and explain all of your options based on your specific needs. Whether you'd like to set up a trust for income or make a gift that will benefit your loved ones and change lives through The Voice of Prophecy, we're here to help. To learn more, call 1-800-348-5993. As you may know, The Voice of Prophecy is supported by people just like you. We provide Christ-centered programs and Bible studies free of charge so that no one is left out. If you've been blessed by these programs and would like to pay it forward, we invite you to visit vop.com give to make your tax-deductible donation. We're equipping the world for Christ to come, and your support will make a direct impact on so many lives. That's vop.com give. And Joel is pointing at me from the control booth, which means we are probably back on the air. You're listening to Disclosure. We're looking at the Voice of Prophecy's award-winning Correspondence Bible course. You can have this for free. Visit voiceofprophecy.com. Look for the Study tab up at the top of the page. You will find it there. We're looking at lesson number five. 
and we'd ask the question. We're only one question in, Alex. We've I made know. it one. We'll have to speed up. What a separates bit. us from God? And we were saying, well, we did that. You know, we walked away from God. And as a kid, I used to wonder, you know, does that mean like God's kind of a sore loser? If we don't play his way, he takes the ball and bat, kicks us out of his kingdom. And I don't think that that's the issue no. at all. I, um, you know, here, here we have a perfect universe with a God that is described as love. John describes him as love and a perfect universe. And we know in the Bible story we've got fallen angels at this point already. And uh, then the human race joins in the rebellion and steps away from God. Now there's this case study. Here's this planet with creatures made by God, and they are living a life that does not reflect the glory of God anymore. Now we have okay. an issue because God can actually be blamed for our—that's what God created, that down there. Do you see how those people hate each other? Mm -hmm. Do you see the violence? Do you see the crime? God has no choice. A righteous God has no choice but to separate himself from that. That's I, right. I don't That's believe right. so. And, you know, I, 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 that would be another topic for another show, but basically our existence now impugns the goodness of God. It, it, it sure does. Yeah. It, it sure does. You know, you, you mentioned uh, does God kick us out of the game. No, no, God's not kicking us out of the game. There's no game. No, you know, that's there, right. we, we don't have a bat. We don't have a ball. We don't have a glove. It's it. There's nothing. There's nothing to play. We we have we have com completely extricated ourselves from it, and and He's trying to get us back into, into exactly, place. exactly. All right. So so this this relationship then is is broken. Trust is broken. Uh, there in in Genesis chapter three, and um, and so the question is, you know, how do we get that back, and 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 who's responsible to 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 bring that all back together, and that's where we were led to Philippians two thirteen. Okay, so Philippians two thirteen says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure, and the question is, who leads us to be reconciled to God? What, right. what, do you, what do you think about that? Well, obviously, you know, it is God who works in you. I, here's the way that the Bible describes it, that we have become so debased and disabled by sin. The minute we became selfish and self-oriented, we actually, it's like all the gauges on the dashboard died. We don't know how fast we're going. We don't know if we're moral or not. And if you're going to plan your own morality, I mean, that's the world we live in now. Everybody just makes up their own thing. Sure. And the Bible describes at one point a condition where everybody did what was right in their own eyes. That's right. That's where that. we are now. And there's no way out of that until God reaches in and begins to stir your heart and show you something is remiss. Romans 2 verse 4 says that God gives us the gift of repentance. We would never feel sorry for sin except that he still loves us enough to reach in and wake the heart up a little bit. You know, some people that might be listening to this program right now may think, may be thinking to themselves, but I'm not that bad. Uh, is is there? Oh, your there gauges any, are broken, right? And that's the question: is there is there any good in us? Uh, is there is there anything? That you, you get some folks that talk about, especially when they're talking about uh, Eastern Eastern religions and and, yes. and meditating inside, trying to find find the, the inner things. light. Yeah, is does that exist? Yeah, I say no. At least biblical theology says. No, we are debased apart from God. There's nothing we can do to repair ourselves. Can the leopard change his spots, the Old Testament asks? And the answer, the implied answer is no. You're powerless to fix this. Mm -hmm. Again, because you've been blinded. The Bible refers to sin as darkness all the time, telling us you're in the dark, you can't even see clearly. 
So Genesis 3 then is something that is is more, it's greater than just reaching out and, and grabbing some fruit and eating that. But something, something happened there drastically. We willfully stepped away from a relationship with God. He said this is the one, it was just a test of loyalty. I don't think there was any magic in that fruit. There was no poison in that fruit. It was, if you're with me, because God is love, we have to have the opportunity to choose him or we're not loving him back if it's not voluntary. So there's got to be some mechanism somewhere where you can choose against him, and that's what we did. We right. broke trust. We didn't poison ourselves. We broke, well, we did spiritually poison right. ourselves, but we broke trust. And it changed our entire constitution and that of the of the whole earth because, you know, in the New Testament it talks about the entire world groaning. The, the whole creation right. is, is groaning for for, for God to come and, and, and change it all back. And we all sense something is not right. You know, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, at least in some of the older translations, says we have eternity in the heart. There's still a memory of the things, that, of the way that the world was, and we all instinctively know that something is wrong with the world the way it is because, well, we're comparing it to something. Yeah, that's right. Otherwise, you know, why is it wrong? Why is it wrong that people suffer? That's right. What are we comparing it to? And Genesis three gives us a taste, a little bit of a of a of a window of of how it is that God was going to uh, save humanity. He begins to intru- introduce that in in, in Genesis three, uh, and of course Philippians Philippians two thirteen is 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 solidifying that fact that it's not us who who save ourselves. Uh, I, I think Adam and Eve tried to do that with the fig leaves. They're, yeah. they're trying to save themselves, um, but it's not us th- that saves that saves us. It's not us that goes to, to even get us. It is it is God who is who is working in us. He he's the one that is that is drawing us. Uh, just like it was it was God that was looking through um, through the garden. He's walking through the garden in the cool of the day, calling Adam Adam and Eve. God is God is God is pursuing us. He is a pursuing God. Interesting. You use the word draw. I jotted down here John six forty four. Jesus explaining, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And you were saying earlier, it's the Father and the Son. It's the whole Godhead that's reaching us that's through right. Christ. And here, here's the comfort that I take in that. Some people say, man, I know I'm sinful. I know I'm broken. I know that I have done wrong. And I will never get back home. You know, God will never take me. Here's the reality. You wouldn't feel sorrow for sin unless he was working on you. That's right. And it's a good sign. If you feel sorrow for sin, you're already on your way. That's the first step. And God did that for you because he wants you. And that's the big lie that Satan is telling you is that... um, you you've been too bad. You've been too evil. There's there's no way he'll take you back. And and yet we see in scripture that it's God that comes to get us. That's right. That, yeah. That's encouraging. So let's look at Romans. Uh, okay. Romans chapter five. The oh, que- favorite the chapter here, for me. Yeah, it is. The question here is: Through what means was our re- reconciliation with God accomplished? Romans five nine and ten. Okay. Uh, do you have that? Yeah, I got it. Much more than, this is Paul writing, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. All right, there's a lot in there. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. We're never going to get done this whole lesson. show right in here. Yeah. Well, Romans... Um, I sympathize with Peter. You know, Peter wrote once that in Paul there are things that are hard to understand. And mm, especially right. Romans 5, you'll get bogged down for days, but it's worthwhile getting bogged. That's right. For when when we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God. Right. I think it's in verse 8 right before that. While we were yet sinners, While Christ we, yes, died for us. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Which is powerful. God is not—he's not waiting for us to reform. He's—he hasn't—he uh, hasn't said, "Okay, guys, these are the parameters. When you do this and this and this and that, then I'll come and 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 I'll help you out." He—he he doesn't do that. He makes the first move. That's what Paul Absolutely. is telling us here: is that you were incapable of making the first move. So God says, "I care. I love you. I miss you." I'll make the first move because you can't. In the mire, in the muck, when we're when we're deep in and we can't get out, we're in quicksand, and God says, "Here I here I come." Mm. So tell me, tell me what what does what does it mean to be reconciled? Having having been reconciled. Oh, we want to do this in in the time that we have, right? <laughs> you know, one of my favorite verses is in Second Corinthians five, and there it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. So. Mm-hmm. Earlier on in the show, I mentioned that the human race now no longer reflects the glory of God. We're a blight on his creation. Our whole lives give lie to the character of God because a fallen universe, the fallen angels, can point to the human race and say, that's the image of God? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Ha ha! See what God is really like? And so we are distanced from God. We have wronged him. We have violated his morality. We have turned our backs on him. He wants us back, but that's going to involve reconciliation, bringing us back together. We're incapable of reconciling. It doesn't matter how much good I do now. The entire life I've led so far gives lie to the character of God, and I'm lost. That's right. And so it says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He takes on humanity. Jesus lives the only perfect life that has ever been lived. He says, I have kept my Father's commandments in John 15 and abide in his love, and he lives this perfect human life. He lives what Adam should have been. Paul Mm -hmm. calls him the last Adam. And so you've got Jesus who actually can put on the altar, so to speak, a perfect human life. And then I wonder, well, how do I qualify for that? You, you asked me to, you know, this, this right, is deep right. stuff here, but the Bible describes him as the groom and the bride as the church, uh, and we know in the Bible that husband and wife become one. If he's marrying us, he can lay claim to my sins even though they're not his, and he takes the judgment for my broken life on him and at the same time bestows his perfect life on me, the whole human race is reconciled in Christ. And it says God was in Christ. He does it all. It's all his act, none of mine. I mean, it's for me to accept, but God did it all. From beginning to yeah. end, God, God I don't know, get me God started on that one, things. on reconciliation. But. No, this, this, is, this is great. And, and so, you know, throwing us back into, into that, uh, that Jacob's ladder that we were talking right, about. Right, yeah. All of a sudden you have this, this Jacob's ladder, the promise that there would be a connection, there would be a, a linking back again between heaven and earth. Yeah. That which was severed would be, would be linked. And, and when we look at, uh, at Jesus' baptism, which, of course, is, is, uh, is told to us that would happen in the book of Daniel. That's for another lesson. Right. Yeah, Daniel 9. Boy, you yeah. just opened a can of worms. Uh, I sure did. I, I think it'll come up in these lessons. I think it'll come up. But when we, when we look at his baptism, that's exactly what happens in his baptism. You have, you have heaven, heaven opening up and, and the dove descending, and here's the Father saying, this is my beloved Son. And, and for the first time since Genesis, uh, Genesis 3, Genesis 1, 2, and, and 3, you, you, have, you have heaven connecting to, to earth once it's amazing. again. amazing. You know, in the promise. person of Christ. In God person brings of God That's and right. humanity back together. 
Jesus in John 13 says that the Son of Man has been glorified in his life and that God is glorified because of that. Jesus has reinstated humanity to rightness with God. That's right. That's right. That, it's, it's, it's astonishing. And it is now. I think you'll spend bridged. all eternity. Yeah. All right. And Thinking so we're, we're moving on here. Oh, yeah. Looking, okay. at, uh, looking at this bridge uh, that has been I don't created. know how you just move on from Romans oh, 5. You can't, but anyway. But we you know we could spend yeah. the entire time. The next question we're going to look at is what sacrifice did God make in order to come into this world as a man? Oh, no. Here comes another question. There's no way we can handle this. In, okay. Not in a few seconds because I think we're, right. we're going to yeah. hit a Yeah. Let's read here. one of the verses, though. Man. But this is John. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 14. John 1, verse 1 and 14. And All right. I didn't turn to it. So. All right. And there, there goes the clock. I'll read John 1, verse 1, and then we'll okay. take a break. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. God. That's John 1, verse 1. Now, what you're going to want to do in the break is grab a Bible, if you don't have one, and look up John 1. And verse 14, fourth book of the New Testament, John 1 and verse 14. We're looking at a bridge to a satisfying life, and we're examining what exactly it is that God sacrificed in order to save us. We'll be right back after this. Disclosure is just one of the programs brought to you by the Voice of Prophecy, like the audio adventure program, Discovery Mountain. Discovery Mountain is a weekly Bible-based program for kids of all ages and backgrounds. Your family will enjoy faith-building stories with Jake Donovan, (laughs) Mr. Simon, and others in this small mountain town. Each summer, campers visit Discovery Mountain, where they sing songs, learn about God, and reenact a Bible story with the help of drama teachers, Miss Wendy and Miss Tamara. With 24 full episodes every year and programming every week, your family will have something uplifting to listen to every week. Listen to episodes on demand and watch video features from director Doug at discoverymountain.com or on your favorite podcast platform. That's discoverymountain.com. You are listening to Disclosure. My name is Sean Boonstra. I am sitting down with Alex Rodriguez, not the A-Rod, but an A-Rod, who um, is no stranger to you. He's been on this program plenty. You've hosted it a few times, Alex, and uh, but you do work at our Discover Bible School or in conjunction with it. We're looking at lesson number five today. You can find lesson number five by going to voiceofprophecy.com and click on the Study tab, and you'll find it there. Lesson number five, Bridge to a Satisfying Life, and we kind of ran out of time in the last segment, and the question you had asked was, what sacrifice did God make in order to come into this world as a man? That's right. And so we were going to look at—I read John 1, verse 1, and I think the break caught us right at John 1, verse 14. So over to you, Alex. Yeah, and we we established in John chapter 1 that the Word— Mm-hmm. is God. Yes, that's one of the names, Logos in the Greek. Uh, it's where you get all the ologies at the end of things. Um, you know, geogra- no, that got, I just blew it. Ology. Geology, not geography. Geography would be wrong. But he is the word, the active principle in the universe, if the Greeks were to understand that word. But um, Jesus is the word, and the word is God. He is God. Yeah. 
which of course brings us into a total other conversation on on the divineness of of Christ, the, no, the we deity should, of Christ. Yeah, we could do some time on that. Yeah, day, but uh, so so we we drop down John chapter one uh, verse one. We drop down all the way to verse fourteen because it gives us another piece of information pertaining to to Christ or pertaining to the Word. And here's what it says: verse fourteen, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so right away it tells me that the Word existed before that time. That's right. And then he changed. That's right. And of course that's that's you know it, that's what we were told here uh, in in verse one. Uh, you know verse two, John chapter one verse verse two is is also uh, is also powerful. He was in the beginning with God. Right. Uh, so it, it's it if we're if we're ever doubting or wondering uh, about uh, the pre-incarnate Christ and and what he was all about, well, according to Scripture, he's he's God, and he was there from the beginning. Right. So the Word became it was this Word, it was that God, um, the pre-incarnate Christ, who became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hmm. And so when we talk about what sacrifice did God make in order to come into this world as a man, uh, we're talking about the creator of the, of the, of the universe. Um, what, is yeah. it, what is it that uh, verse 3 says? If we, if we go to verse 3 in, in John 1, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. So he's the active made. agent, the second person of the Godhead. God the Son is the active agent of creator. Jesus is creator. That's right. That's right. And wow. so that that creator of the universe um, steps off of his throne, of his universal throne, and comes to this world to be born as a babe and to be rejected. You know what's interesting to me is that... Um, he keeps that forever. We think, okay, he put in a few short years as a human being and went back to whatever it was that he was. And he was returned to the glory that he had with the Father. He says so in John 17. But he chose to retain human shape forever. You know, when he comes back from the grave, he tells his disciples who are having trouble believing he's back, touch me, handle me. See, I'm not a spirit. I have flesh and bones. And and that flesh Jesus in Acts chapter 1, as he's about to go back to heaven, says to his disciples, um, you know, the angel, rather, Jesus goes back to heaven, the angel says, this same Jesus will come again. It tells me he's actually retained our form forever. He didn't give up his omnipresence. I mean, those are theological terms, I guess. But he didn't give up a lot of those things just for a while, but forever to permanently identify with us. That's right. That's right. And of course, we've got uh, we've got Jesus ascending and promising that he would send another that would be right. that would be with us, and uh, that's the Spirit of God who's going to be all places all at the same time. Um, so it, it it is it is quite powerful, and that's that's a huge sacrifice. I, I and and it's hard for me to fathom because I I'm I'm not an all powerful God. No. I mean, would you become a garden slug to save the garden slugs that are out on the sidewalk after the rain? No, I wouldn't. And stay like them forever. And stay like them forever. N- no. But in essence, I mean, I'm not even sure that gets close to describing the disparity between God's holiness and our fallenness. But he loves us that much Yeah. that he wants us to be with him. Yeah. And so he's, he decides this is the sacrifice that I'm going to make. First Peter, First Peter two twenty two. Yeah, Peter's um, my guy. That's my <laughs> disciple. Big loud mouth. 
brash. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> no. Thank you. I, 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 I see that in, in, in me as well. Yeah. He is he is my favorite disciple of them all. This is one guy I definitely want to meet when I get to heaven. But um, You think? No, I, I, yeah. I, I, I do. I do. And I also want to meet Thomas. I mean, I know that's that's crazy, but, you know. Nobody doubting, lines up to see Thomas. Doubting Thomas, you know, it's just like. Poor guy. You know, what, what did you, you know. I mean, that's not his whole life described in the Bible, he but even, he gets doubting yeah. Thomas forever. He, he does. He does. And he and he doesn't know that because he no, that's true. died. So yeah. now, now everybody get, gets to tell him, hey, your legacy lived on. It wasn't great, but uh, <laughs> it was. So. <laughs> What testimony did Peter give concerning Jesus' life on earth? First okay. Peter 2.22. All right. Uh, let's just, here's what it says. Who committed no sin, mm. nor was deceit found in his mouth. Wow. And so what does this tell us about the way that Jesus walked on earth? Sinlessly, which I, I can't even imagine that. I know I would love to pretend that I'm either sinless or not far from it, but those who know me are quite able to point out the fact that I am not. I can't imagine. And, and you know, Adam was supposed to be sinless, and he was put in an ideal situation. Jesus came and lived a sinless life, no deceit in his mouth, commits no sin, living in the awful environment that we created here on this earth in the midst of temptation, all that stuff, pain and suffering, and he's still sinless. So what does uh, what does it mean? Uh, I th- I think you 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 went to Second Corinthians before, but what does it mean when when we're told in Second Corinthians five twenty nine or twenty one that God made him who knew no sin to be sin to be for sin us. for us? Well, yeah, and I guess there's a question we could probe for hours on end, but yeah. again, Jesus comes. He's appointed now. He's called the last Adam, which is what Paul calls, and and it kind of suggests that Peter, uh, sorry, that Jesus becomes the new head of the human race. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeds, and so by marrying us, the church, the two become one. I know I said that earlier, and mm-hmm. this is just a this is just a tool to help me understand. I'm not saying it exactly works this sure. way because sure. I think we'll explore this question for all eternity. I get his perfect righteousness as a gift, and he takes responsibility for the judgment on my human sins at the same time. They fall on him. That's right. He so closely identifies with us that he has the right to let the judgment for my sins fall on him and the right to grant me his... It's as if God now opens the filing cabinet, looks in the Boonster record, and finds, if I'm in Christ, finds the perfect record of Christ instead of my sins. And... And Jesus says that he took my chirograph on, that's bill of debt in Colossians, and mm-hmm. nailed it to his cross. So he takes my debt, takes the judgment for human sin, my sin on himself, and I get his perfect life. It's mind-boggling. That's right. That's right. And and looking, some some people might look at First Peter two twenty two and look at Second uh, Corinthians five twenty one and and say, look, the Bible is is contradictory. It's one is saying that he had no sin, the other one saying that he 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 became sin. Right. And well, there's a difference, isn't there? Th- there is a difference. Yeah. Uh, but but here's here's what I would I would I would suggest. Um, I I often start backwards when I'm studying the Bible. Um, instead of asking the question, what does this mean? I start by eliminating eliminating possibilities. What do, what does it not mean? Oh, interesting. So 
when I read that Christ took on sin, uh, basically in Second Corinthians five twenty one, he who had no sin became sin for us. Then I look at First Peter two twenty two, and and I say, okay, this cannot mean that he was sinful. Right, exactly. Because that has to be eliminated based upon what we learn in First Peter two twenty two. So then it must mean something something else. Mm-hmm. And and by taking that approach then and, and, and eliminating that, then then you clearly see no, Christ was not a sinner. He he never sinned, he was spotless, he is the spotless lamb. But he did take on the penalty as 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 you said. He didn't deserve it, but he took it upon himself. Right. And exactly how that's possible. Uh, that's a study of a lifetime, but but he's so closely identified with us that he's able to take responsibility for the judgment against my sin, and at the same time, so closely related to me that I get to partake in his righteousness. Are you kidding me? That's right. Really? And the promise that we have from Scripture is however that works, it satisfies what needed to be done, and God is willing to accept us, and that's where I'm, sure. I'm excited And again, about. I think I like to look at the fact that he died, took my penalty, but he also lived the perfect life, which I now get to partake in. That's which, right. Uh, there's a lot going on there, and on top of all of that, the book of Hebrews tells me because he lived here and faced everything that I had to go through, he knows how to help me. He was, what is it, Hebrews 2, verse 17 says, therefore, in all things he was made like his brethren, that he might be merciful, a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He was made just like us, yet lived without sin, then absorbed the penalty for my sin, and now knows how to aid me. Praise God for that. Yeah. First John 4, 8 is where we're going next. What did the Apostle John say is the fundamental aspect of God's character? Yeah. Uh, read that for us if you can. This one's often quoted, sometimes abused. <laughs> yeah, no, I think is. so. But First John 4, verse 8, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So the fundamental character of God's, uh, or, or the fundamental aspect of God's character is is love. Yeah, and and that uh, that's a that's a, a word that is is packed. Well, it's um, been that's why I said this text may yeah. be abused because our idea of love ever since the 1950s is what we hear on top 40 music, sloppy, sentimental feelings, and does God have feelings toward me? Yeah, He does. But God's love is more than a sentiment. It is. It is. It's. It's. Uh, and I'm not even totally sure that words can can describe uh, love. And and God doesn't even God doesn't even go about trying to describe love with with a bunch of words. He he does it with with an example. He does it with with mm. that action. And what does that uh, what does that verse say? Uh, Greater love hath no man than no this. Man than this. And that you give your life uh, for for a friend, and so he 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 says, "I'm going beyond the just telling you what love is. I'm going to show you forever what love is." Yeah, you know the Greeks had more than one word for love, and we're going to be up against a break. And sometimes we get confused because we've got one word. Everything is love. The love I have for my kids is the same word that I use. I love my wife and I love my fellow man. But the Bible breaks it down. You know, eros is romantic love, phileo is brotherly love, but God's love is called. Agape, it means selfless love. And that means that even even when God is angry, he is love. He is love. And I know I am not love, 
when I am angry. <laughs> but God is even in, I, get, I hear the music and I probably opened a can of worms by discussing how a God of love could ever be angry, but I guess uh, we'll take a little break and come back after this. Do visit voiceofprophecy.com. Look at the study tab. That's where we are. We're looking at the Discover Bible course. We'll be right back. Retirement planning can be a stressful process, but it doesn't have to be. The friendly people at The Voice of Prophecy can walk you through the entire process and explain all of your options based on your specific needs. Whether you'd like to set up a trust for income or make a gift that will benefit your loved ones and change lives through The Voice of Prophecy, we're here to help. To learn more, call 1-800-348-5993. Earthquakes, tornadoes, wildfires. Around us, homes are being lost, lives are threatened, and some people are asking the question, does God even care about me? The Bible answers that question, and what it says is very encouraging. Find out what God says regarding this topic and some of life's greatest issues in our free Discover Bible Guides. Go to VOP.com and click on Study, or call us 888-456-7933. Well, Joel just pointed at me with his magic studio finger, which means that we're back on the air. And we were teasing him during the break that in Ireland, he's not Joel. He's Joel. Joel. Hey, we are looking at uh, lesson number five from the Discover Bible course. You can find it at voiceofprophecy.com, study tab. Just take a look for it. You can get this for nothing, honest and for true, for nothing. I'm sitting down with Alex Rodriguez and, uh, or is it Rodriguez? Rodriguez. Yeah. That's whatever you want to call me. I'll call you whatever I want. Dree. I used to be mm-hmm. called Dree. Dree and Rodriguez. Really? Oh. Tio Sancho, too. That's cool. Uncle Sancho? Oh, Tio. Well, it, it was, I think it was, uh, it was some kind of, uh, I don't know if it was uh, if it was. Were you a, a drug dealer? Why would you get a nickname like, like Tio Sancho? You were a drug uh, dealer. Just the kids, you know. Yeah. Hey, we're looking at um, a bridge to a satisfying life, and we were looking at the fundamental characteristic of God, as described in First John four verse eight, that God is love. And just before the break, I stuck my foot in my mouth. I opened a big theological can of worms, saying even when God is angry, He is love. That's right. And I guess what I was doing was trying to underline the fact that this is not sloppy sentimental love. Um, this is not just how God feels about you, even though he feels love towards you. He does. But, you know, what kind of a God um, isn't angry about pain and suffering, right? And I think a lot of times people doesn't, don't ever want God to be angry about sin or judge sin. And the reason is they don't want him to deal with their sin, but you sure do want him to deal with everybody else's. So if you put it in the third person, you know, what kind of God doesn't deal with a Stalin who, who murders 20 million of his countrymen? And, you, you know, does God just turn a blind eye to that? Is that love? So God is love in everything that he does. It's always the right thing. And one of the decisions we see in Revelation 15 that human beings make when we finally are in God's presence is all your judgments were manifest. You always did the right thing. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, even in, in society today, we understand that that sin or evil needs to be punished. Sure. And, and that's why we have prisons, that's why we have the court system, and, and so sometimes we try to put on, on God that which we're not even willing to put, uh, to put on ourselves. Right. Yeah, and I like 
and I like the word judged because honestly, we have put this huge blight on the universe. All this pain and suffering ultimately is our own fault. Right. And what kind of a God does not declare that unfit? What kind of a God doesn't deal with that, Doesn't never says, okay, we need to put an end to that? Um, that's not love either. No, lo- love is what he's doing. Um, he's designing a place for us to be. He's rescuing us from, from, from the pit. And, and he's like the story that is, is found in the lesson here. He's like this, uh, this lady named Virginia Hughes. Mm-hmm. that runs into her burning home to rescue her two children and is forever disfigured because of that. Um, the the kids, uh, they they understand the disfigurement, and, and to them it's beautiful. Right. To to the rest of the world, it's you, you can barely look at her. Uh, and, and this is where this is where where we are with Jesus. He is he is forever in the shape of, of humanity. Um, and from from comparison to to the the being that he he mm. once was you know he'll forever hold hold himself in this in this position and and to and to those who don't understand it's ugly yeah you know that that's true and here's what i do find interesting but it's one or the other it's almost impossible to examine who jesus is or and not come away with either it's beautiful or you don't like it i very seldom find meh Apathy. That's right. That's you know, right. very seldom do I find any apathy because to face Jesus, this perfect human, God in human flesh, uh, a couple of things are going to happen. You're going to have to come to grips with who you are by contrast, and then you're going to have to deal with the terms, like, I'm going to have to repent of my sins. And so nobody likes that experience. It, it, there's just no neutral response to Jesus, I don't think. Not if you're no, dealing with him no. honestly. It's either, I hate that, it's ugly, or that is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Yeah, and Scripture says, every knee shall bow and every every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're brought to a point right. where everybody's going to have to make a decision one way or the other. Right. What has Jesus been doing, Sean, for us since he since he went back to heaven? That's that's a, a question. You know, he he we see John chapter one. He was the creator of all things. He he was he was one with God. Then he becomes incarnate. He he becomes man just like us. He dies. He resurrects. What's he been doing? Right, and that's a good question. I never thought about that as a kid. I was raised in a church going home. And, you know, what, did Jesus take a 2,000-year vacation? Is he just, That's a, then exactly. I'll be back in 2,000 years, guys. Yeah, it's a good question. So Hebrews, Hebrews okay. chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Okay. And here's what it says. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And so according to this, Jesus is the high priest. Right. The, the great high priest. For we do not, this is verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, mm. but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. There's once, Peter's once again, point again, yeah. That's right. Once again, you, you have to eliminate that from the Second Corinthians 5.21 understanding. Right. It, it again paints the picture that it, it's not that he was a sinner, not at all. Uh, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I want to get back to that boldly here in just a minute. But but let's uh, let's look for a second at this tempted in all points as we are. What, what exactly does that mean? Wow. Well, you know, you look at Jesus, and um, 
He comes into this world and he suffers a lot of the same things that I suffer. You see his own siblings reject him and make fun of him, Mm -hmm. right? So he understood alienation. He understood loneliness. He understood rejection. He was hungry. He was tired. And yet in all of that, you know, when I'm hungry and tired, I start leaning towards being able to sin a lot faster because, you know, your guard is down and I'm irritable and I might say something out of anger and it's an inappropriate anger. He never, ever broke down. But, you know, I think there might be more than that. Adam failed in his temptation. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, is driven out into the wilderness, you know, right after his baptism, the devil works him over and tempts him on all these points of appetite. Oh, are you hungry? Turn Mm -hmm. these stones into bread. Um, Why would you go through with the cross? All you have to do is bow down to me, which is what Adam and Eve ultimately did. They bowed down to Lucifer. He goes through a trial much like Adam did in Eden and comes through with flying colors. He never sinned. So now we have somebody who gets what it's like to live here and didn't cave, Mm. didn't cave. That's who I want in my court. That's who I want to talk right. to about my problems. What what do you what do you do with folks that say, but but Christ didn't experience our day and age. He didn't experience this kind of temptation. Yeah, except that here's the issue. You know, I've done a great deal of reading historically. I read the ancient philosophers. I read the it, the pagan philosophers, the barbarian philosophers. Well, there weren't a lot of barbarian philosophers, but there were a handful. <laughs> you know, they wrote these thoughts. And here's what I've noticed. The essential human problems have never, ever mm. changed. I don't care if now you're tempted by your cell phone. You know, you're a young man and and there are, you know, you've got access to inappropriate material on your phone anytime you want. I don't care if that's where it happened. Don't tell me that that stuff wasn't happening in the ancient pagan world. Right. They didn't have the technology. But human sin hasn't changed. It's still rooted in pride and putting yourself first, and that hasn't changed. And the deep problems we face, like why is there pain and suffering and death and all these existential questions, none of that has changed. Human nature hasn't changed, so the questions haven't changed. And so Christ is is tempted in that in that wilderness at the foundational elements. That's right. Um, that that really cover all all of the the bases of of, of what sin is, because yeah. ultimately sin sin is pride. And your your desire for self uh, self exaltation, and he's he's able to overcome that. Yeah. Um, don't tell me hungry doesn't feel the same. You know. Don't right. tell me that tired doesn't feel the same, or rejection doesn't feel the same. And 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 we're going to run out of time here quickly. Yeah, but I, I did want to <laughs> ask one question on this: Is temptation sin? I say no. And I like, I don't know if it was Martin Luther or if this is apocryphal. Martin Luther said, you know, it's not a sin for a bird to fly over your head, but you don't have to let it build a nest in your hair. That's a good point. Right? So the devil is tempting Christ. Obviously, he's without sin. He didn't cave. He didn't. So the temptation itself is not sin. Now, I don't know that I play on the same field as Jesus because I probably, every temptation, we probably indulge it a little longer than Jesus would. And it's the indulgement that becomes sin. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so um, going to verse 16, this, uh, this concept of coming boldly to the throne of grace, can, can, we, can we really come boldly to the throne of grace? Not without Christ. Not without Christ, because the holiness of God destroys a sinner. I mean, we wouldn't—and um, we were never on our own able to come back to Christ. One of the reasons he had to drive us out of the garden, one of the reasons that our sins separated us from him, because we would be destroyed in his presence. But now, because we have a new head of the human race who is God himself— That's right. 
Yeah, God says, go ahead, use some boldness, come on in. And I think that that's, that's the power of the word therefore here. Yeah. It's because of all of these things, because you have a high priest, because because he's been through it, because he, 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 he knows and has conquered and sympathizes with you, now you can come boldly through the throne of grace to, to obtain help and to obtain grace. Mind-boggling. Uh, that, is, that is mind-boggling. We are to the last question. Yeah, and we're to the last three minutes. So. That's right. So Hebrews 9.28, what promise has been given us given to us concerning the ascended Christ? Hmm. And take that one. Okay, Hebrews 9.27. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Wow. Wow. That is more than three minutes worth. It is. Christ is offered offered once. Uh, Christ, uh, the Scripture tells us that when Christ died, something happened to the to the veil in the temple. It was torn in two. Torn in two, symbolizing the fact that the Old Testament system has come to an end, but also symbolizing that um, that the the type, you know, type has meant uh, anti-type. It in it has uh, the one thing we have been looking forward to this entire Old Testament period of time that has finally happened. And it is sufficient. In the book of book of Hebrews, it says that the blood of goats, the blood of could bulls, not, could not. But but something could, and it is the sacrifice of Jesus. He he had to die once, and and that secures our our salvation or the possibility of our salvation. I love the fact that it says that he comes back without it. So he bears my sin. In the Old Testament, the priest would take the blood of the sacrifice into the temple, symbolizing that Jesus takes our sin on himself. But then once a year they would cleanse that temple in a ceremony known as the Day of Atonement and delete the sin forever, all record of it. And it says, Jesus has dealt with my sin so completely that when he comes back, it's It's gone. It's gone. Never coming back again. Never coming back again. And I don't know about you, but I'm in on a place without sin and suffering because, well, I've lived just long enough in this world to know that most of the suffering in my life I brought on myself. That's right. And that's the promise of Revelation 21. There'll yeah. Be no more pain. No more. No more sorrow. No more crying. No more death. Uh, the former things have passed away, and Jesus tabernacles with us. Uh, that that to me is incredible. I I think it it comes down to this. I'm overwhelmed when we look at these things, Alex, and it's just a matter of do I choose? You know, I can choose to stay under the old Adam, or I can choose to be under the new Adam, and That's everything right. that He's done for me. I don't think this is a hard choice to make. I, I want in on the new one, and I know I don't deserve it, but, you know, he says, come boldly. Come boldly. Come boldly. Because he says it, we do it. Yeah. I love what's on this lesson here right at the end, Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Yeah. yeah, we've been listening, or you've been listening, rather, to us. We're looking at Bridge to a Satisfying Life. It's lesson number five in the Discover Bible course, and those are honest and for true, free of charge, right? It so sure free is. And free and charge. charge. Go to voiceofprophecy.com, look under the study tab, and you can have access to all of these lessons. And today I encourage you, it is time to step out and say, you know, I'm not perfect. I need help, Lord. I choose to be under Christ who has given so much for me. Until next time, thanks for listening and God bless.